Hello, I'm Di Redmond and I'm your host for this episode of Songs in the Wilderness. In this series, we listen to the songs that have influenced our guests throughout their lives and have influenced their faith too. Today, I have the privilege of talking to Nigel Parker, Director of the Catholic Union of Great Britain. Thank you for joining us on the programme today, Nigel. Tell us where you are and something about what your role is as Director of the Catholic Union of Great Britain. Well, good morning, everybody. And it's a great pleasure to be on Radio Maria this morning. I'm speaking to you from Clapham in South London, looking out onto a sunny Clapham Common. Oh, nice. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, yes, yeah, so uh, it's I'm, as you said, I'm the director of the Catholic Union of Great Britain, which is an organisation of lay Catholics established as long ago as 1870. Um, and its purpose is to represent the view of lay Catholics to to uh, to government and parliament and in the public square. That's interesting non- that you're saying it was established 1870. That's about the time that Catholics got emanci- I mean got the vote, isn't it, male Catholics? It's so it's sort of the beginning of of the comeback, isn't it, for for Catholics? Well, there is a there is a reason I think it started there and in fact it's the reason that I think was connected at the time with the loss of the papal states in Italian unification. Oh yeah. That yeah. seems to be the impetus for Catholics to get together. Um but that that uh, purpose soon became transformed into focusing on the UK and the position of Catholics, who, although they they've had the main Emancipation Act in 1829, still faced various disadvantages of one kind or another in society. Of course, there was enormous prejudice, generally socially mm. at that time, politically, but there were also some legal impediments remaining. And I think the idea of the Catholic Union in its early days was some of those in positions of influence, Catholic peers, for example, to get together and and look at some of the issues that remained as obstacles to Catholics taking their full part in, in public life. Interesting. Who were some of the mo- more famous Catholic peers? Um, I can't think of any, quite honestly, so I'd love to know. Well, the, the I mean, the Catholic Union, when it started, uh, I think was, they say, we say, founded by the Duke of Norfolk, oh, right, who, of yeah. course, to this day has this particular status, sometimes called the Premier Catholic layman, um, and the family of the Duke of Norfolk, I think, remains um, active in the Catholic Union. Um, even to this day, we certainly had uh, one of our summer gatherings at Arundel Castle. We have mm-hmm. some contact with the present Duke of Norfolk. I think his father was even more involved. Um, but from those, perhaps those early, you know, aristocratic sort of roots, it's it's now a mainstream popular organisation with Catholics from all walks of life, all professions, um, and and others who who get together to support um, our work in putting forward the Catholic viewpoint on the issues of the day. Sounds like a fantastic organisation to belong to. But so let's come back to it. But for the, for to get to your first piece of music, let's start at the beginning, where you were born, and uh, you were born in the early sixties, and. Uh, can you share some of those early memories with us? Yes, certainly. I was born in, in Grays in Essex in 1961 um, to a, a Catholic mother and an Anglican father. Um, there are some Irish roots, as is so common uh, on my mother's side, I think about uh, four generations before, coming from Hawke in Ireland. But the both sides of my family had been settled in Grays for quite some time, for several generations my mother and father met when they were working in London and they 
uh, they married and moved to another to a house in Gray. So they haven't really they've stayed very close to their early and family roots. So my sister and I were were brought up in Gray's and went to the local Catholic primary school, St Thomas of Canterbury, attached to the church of the same name. And uh, it was it was a happy a happy childhood. Um, and also, you know, another big part of our lives, my father was very involved in a thing called the St. John Ambulance Brigade. Oh, yes. Yeah. Um, providing first aid to the public. And indeed, um, a lot of our life was connected with that. My father went from being a cadet at the age of about uh, 10 to becoming uh, a knight of St. John. Um, mm -hmm. He's now almost 95, but uh, uh, still lives in the family home in Greys, where I go to see him later today. <laughs> and nice. so, so, so his, and all, we're all involved in, in the St. John Ambulance Brigade to a certain extent. Does that I mean that involved. you used to get um, entry to football matches? Because um, <laughs> they were always, always at the very edges of the field, weren't they, the St. John's Ambulance? That's right, yes. I never got to see the big match. I never got to see West Ham. <laughs> um, but um, we did certainly sport local sports events, a lot of um, sort of motor racing, speedboat racing. Um, in, in, and uh, in the early days, my, my father used to, even go to the cinema. I think we used to have first aid people in the cinemas in those early. How extraordinary! What that people yeah, so fainted or passed out or needed an operation. That's right. That's well, part of <laughs> fainting probably more likely. But um, so yeah, public yeah, lots of public duties and also competitions we did, particularly in my under my father's um, training. Our our local division did a, a lot of first aid competitions, and we were very successful. You know, often. Getting through to through you know county and regional level to a, a national competition, um, where you have a you know a sort of a fake accident set up if you like with casualties, um, lots of blood and gore, <laughs> and you 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 go in under under time circumstances to try and do what you can to provide first aid, and you're marked in everything that you do in oh, that context. What a great training for when you were you're young. It sort of teaches you not to panic. <laughs> yes, yes. I think I think there was a yeah there was a sort of certain routine as you approach and so you say you know keep still. I'm a first aider. Don't panic. What's happened? Sort of thing. It was absolute standard opening line. Yeah, which got you several marks for taking charge of the scene and um, yeah. you know giving reassurance to the casualties and 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 bystanders. Now before we go on to your first choice of music, which I hope you're going to introduce, just tell me about going coming here to Cambridge. Which college did you come to? Oh, well, um, after, yes, I came to Emmanuel College uh, back in 1980 to, to read law. Nice college. Um, yes, a lovely college. Mm -hmm. um, I think I was particularly attracted by the duck pond um, <laughs> and had ducks waddling around the college most mornings. Um, so, yes, so after, you know, after primary school, then secondary school at Campion in Hornchurch, um, I got the idea of doing law. Uh, and um, and that's what I did at Emmanuel College. Good times there, were they? Um, yes, yes, absolutely. Um, um, so I was, I did, I did law there. I enjoyed my time at uh, at Cambridge. Um, feel very sorry for those people who had to have their time there during COVID and I know. perhaps didn't get the full experience that you 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 want to get. What a miserable um, time that must have been! Just just getting into Cambridge and then not being able to go, just wretched. Yeah, yeah. So um, your first song does this resonate? These early days, tell us why it's your first most important yes. piece. 
Well, certainly, um, you know, there's lots of music I like of all different kinds, a lot of rock music as well as some classical and jazz. But I've tried to choose music which has some some resonance for, you know, for this occasion for listeners. Um, and one of my you know, early tastes, I guess, was sort of folk and pop. And I've chosen a song by John Denver. Not always the most popular figure in, in music, but he had something, mm. I, I think. And he was certainly ahead of his time when it came to the environment and green issues. So this so, song is from yeah. 1975, and he's one of the, really the, one of the, the first to call attention to nature and what was happening to it. Um, this song was also chosen as part of a, I think, something with COP26 in Glasgow. Oh, There's yes. a very nice video, someone attached to it. So let's, uh, let's, it's about nature and the wind, so let's have a listen. Thank you. Wind is the hand of our father. When watches over our struggles and pleasures, the wind is a goddess who first learned to fly. Wind song by John Denver from his 1975 album of the same name. You mentioned, Nigel, that you were called to the bar in 1985. Yes, yeah, so after, after doing law at Emmanuel Cambridge, I came to London and studied for the bar exam, the one year bar exam after a law degree, and then was called to the bar, um, became a barrister, uh, joined the Middle Temple one of the four inns of court, and I then did pupillage um, to complete my training as a barrister and did some legal practice for uh, a year or two. And then I applied uh, to join the Foreign Office as oh. a legal advisor. Goodness. 
Um, that's back in 1988, and there I spent the next 27 years as a uh, legal as a legal advisor in the Foreign Office, advising officials and ministers and embassies abroad on all sorts of questions of public international law. That's, that is that's a vast. Brief. That's an absolutely vast brief. <laughs> well, it is, and it's it's in fact it's, it's public international law, also EU law, and indeed English law. Um, but our main our main area of, of expertise, I guess, was public international law. That's the law of nations, you know, the United Nations treaties, uh, law of the sea, human rights, war crimes law, you, you, you know, environmental law, all sorts of areas of law that deal with the relations between states. Incredible. I mean, would you can imagine you don't work there now, obviously, because you, you work where for the union, but. Would you yeah. be able to keep up with all that is going on now? Um, I mean, it must change. Well, I mean, especially we're not in the EU anymore. Not that that changes the law. Um, well, it, so, it does so for us, actually. A, that's a big change, actually. Yes, it mm. is. Well, I try. Yeah, I do try and keep up. I still get emails from uh, with with you know current legal developments. So I try and keep up with uh, you know new cases and new new treaties and. You know, of course, you follow the news carefully and go to events of one kind or another at Chatham House, the Institute for International Affairs or International Law Association things. So, yes, um, and of course, a big change that happened after I left. I left in 2015. And of course, it was after that that we had Brexit. Mm -hmm. So uh, mm. my colleagues who were still there then had to deal with the intricacies of unravelling our membership and uh, making all the arrangements for what happened afterwards. So that's a big, a big change. Though so, you know, lots of other areas will remain basically the same. Our relations with other states. But um, you, your your um, departure was quite fortuitous. If you wanted to avoid a shed load of work, <laughs> just sounds like a well, nightmare. I think it probably was a bit of a nightmare in terms of of. Um, I used to sometimes think of it in terms of having you know having been members of the EU, having woven a great tapestry, you then mm. had to unravel it and reassemble it in some other pattern. But there we are. It's something which my colleagues did and I, by that time I, I left. And then uh, two years after leaving, I started to work for the Catholic Union. I will have worked for them for about six years at the end of this month. Oh, really? Six years? You've been there that long already? But I also understand that you've gone on a number of pilgrimages over the years. Is, is that correct? Yes. I mean, that's a right. number. So, uh, well, to be, I mean, I, I've been to Leward nine times, I worked out. Oh, that's um, a lot. The very first time was when I was still at school and went as a, as, a, as a sort of courier with a travel company. But then I went back, I think it was five times with what was called the Young Adults Pilgrimage from Westminster. And then three times with the adults as, a, as the, the, the all ages Westminster diocesan pilgrimage. So Lewis a special place, as, as it is for so many people. I remember particularly going there with Cardinal Hume when oh, I was, was with the young adults. Yeah. Mm. That was really perhaps the best time in a way, um, being with a lot of other young people and the whole experience of being there and hearing him talking in a very relaxed way. Mm. You know, he was very good with young people and much loved by them. And, you know, remains, uh, I often go and visit him in Westminster Cathedral where he's buried. I think in the first year, he gave every young person the prayer book. It was the you know, the shorter morning and evening prayer, little red book. And he, some of us asked him to write 
in it and he wrote in mine as in others i think please pray for basil hume so i try and um you know comply with that request when i go into the cathedral i often go and visit him in the chapel of uh of saint uh, augustine saint gregory um that beautiful chapel just as you go into the cathedral and remember him there that's such a lovely um, but, thing to do actually it is yeah so so that's lured and um but i've also been but on three, I think, pilgrimages with Aid to the Church in Need. I know that you were at Radio Maria are great friends of Aid to the Church in Need, the wonderful Catholic organisation that supports uh, Catholics and others persecuted around the world. Um, and they have trips for their, you know, their supporters, their benefactors. And I've been with them to Lebanon, um, to Fatima and to Egypt over the years, uh, which are always very Mm. And of course, going on pilgrimage with them, you not only see some of the sites, but you, in Lebanon and Egypt in particular, you meet local um, Catholic communities, you meet some of the people uh, in the projects which aid to the church in need supports where the church is, you know, often in a difficult situation in some of those countries. That must be really, really fascinating. Have you managed to even think of arranging a visit to Ukraine? Or is that impossible? Um, you just remind, I missed out that on my list. Actually, I have been to Ukraine, oh, to yeah. Ukraine in 2006 with West, Westminster Cathedral pilgrimage, um, uh, which was, you know, a very enjoyable uh, time. To, and to also a, a, a sort of eye-opening to the different parts of the Catholic Church, the Eastern Church. Oh, yeah. So as well as the Latin Church we're all familiar with in this country, of course, in Ukraine, you had a thriving Ukrainian Catholic Church, sometimes called a Greek Catholic Church, because they have, not that they speak Greek, but because they have the Byzantine liturgy. So um, it was very an interesting introduction to, to the Ukrainian Catholic Church. Of course, um, a lot of people have become more familiar with that church for, for unfortunate reasons, if you like, in the last year. Mm. But one thing is that people are more familiar now with the Ukrainian church, which, of course, has its cathedral um, just off Oxford Street yes, in the West it, End. It's fabulous, isn't it? Is it St Michael's? I think it's the Holy Family, actually. Is it the yeah, Holy I think Family you're right. Yes. I was there in and October. I, it was, it's a beautiful yeah. church. Yes, it is. It's A lot of people have been there, you know, for various services. In fact, there's a service coming, up, I think, later this month which marks the anniversary oh, yes. of, the, of the Russian invasion. But I have been there in other happier times when they have, I think, a, a regular mass celebrated according to the Ukrainian Byzantine liturgy, but in English, oh. I think on a Saturday afternoon once yes. a month. Yeah, I think, that's one thing the one, I, I think that's the one I went to on Saturday. Yeah. Yes, I belong to something called the Society of St. John Chrysostom, which I think organises that mass, and it's that's a society that promotes better knowledge of the Eastern churches within the Catholic Church. So, yes, I have. So, and uh, most recently I went on a very unusual pilgrimage to Transylvania. Oh, goodness me. <laughs> Northern Romania. I think we all just like the idea of telling people we've been on a pilgrimage to Transylvania. Yes. <laughs> um, uh, it, it was organised by a priest in the Brentwood Diocese, um, the parish priest, uh, Father Edward, in Benfleet in Essex. And we had a wonderful week there um, visiting, you know, the great, great variety of churches that, that are there. Again, Latin Catholic, mm. the Romanian Greek Catholic, also Armenian Catholic, and not to mention visits to various Lutheran 
um, churches as well. There's a very rich religious history. It wasn't a pilgrimage to a particular shrine, but rather to look at the whole religious history of that area and the, and the beautiful churches, including especially the beautiful wooden churches that are in the north part of Transylvania called Matamuresh, um, fantastic medieval, in some cases, or later wooden churches, which are stunning. Wow, I'd love to see that. Do you have, for your mm. second piece of music, do you have anything that kind of brings back memories of any of those pilgrimages? Or is, or is it quite separate? Well, um, in a way it's separate, but I could say that certainly part of being, you know, pilgrimage in Lewis was singing. Um, we, you know, we used to have, you know, kind of social evening at the end of it. And I used to sometimes sing there. And I've chosen this song, Helplessly Hoping Crosby Stills Nash, it's a perfect example of harmony singing. Um, I like Crosby Stills Nash. I chose it partly because David Crosby died recently, so it's partly in tribute to him. But uh, it's also about the beauty of singing, and this is the best harmony you can get. Thank you. Others nearby, awaiting a word, gasping at glimpses of gentle spirit he runs wishing he could fly only to trip at the sound of goodbye wordlessly watching he waits by the window and wonders at the empty place inside Heartlessly helping himself to her bad dreams, he worries. Did he hear a goodbye? I or even hello, they are one person, they are two alone, they are three together, they are four. That was Helplessly Hoping by Crosby, Stills and Nash from their 69 debut album. Our music choices this morning have been selected by my guest, Nigel Parker, originally from Grays in Essex, now living in South London. So we're now up to 2020, uh, 2012, the Olympics in London. Tell us about your involvement with the Games. Well, I, uh, I saw the opportunity to be involved in the 2012 Olympics in, in a couple of ways. First of all, to be a games maker and then to be a London ambassador. Mm. So the games maker, I think people will remember those distinctive uniforms that games makers wore. And they had these were volunteers who did everything from directing crowds with their famous big foam fingers, directing <laughs> crowds <laughs> into the right places at the right time. They did everything else from greeting people at the airport to driving officials and competitors. Anyway, I, I applied for um, what they call the protocol team, thinking that would tie in a bit with my work in the Foreign Office in protocol and so on. And um, I think there are three choices. One was to greet people at the airport. 
one was to look after the you know VIPs in a special area at venues, and the third one was flag protocol. And I quite like the idea of that. And also, I figured, rightly as it turned out, that that would get you right into the venue, right up close to the you know to the to the events. Yeah, you'd be on the um, podium actually if you're waving. Not a flag. quite, uh, not quite, <laughs> not quite on the podium. Um, so I mean, that, so that was a good choice because it was a beautiful job in the in that it was as simple as you could wish for, but also kind of important to get it right. So the job consisted of um, really confirming, getting a whole a stack of flags in a in an area, and you had to <laughs> get the correct flag for the medal ceremony, the victory ceremony at the end, the gold, silver, bronze, or in some cases double bronze, certain events, um, mm. and choose the flags and confirm to the organiser of the victory ceremonies that these were the correct flags for the correct medalists so not terribly complicated you know um choosing the south korean flag for archery i did archery and boxing so for archery you know certain countries were very prominent south korea japan the united states um and you just had to get the right flag and uh i was hoping that that the the, the country of bhutan might oh, win yes. yeah. in archery i don't think they entered many events in the olympics but Archery is their special, is their national sport. And they have a beautiful flag with a rippling dragon. Oh, lovely. Which I was looking forward to seeing flying from the flag hole at Lord's Cricket Ground where archery took place. But alas, that wasn't, they didn't win a medal, but we had a lot of South Koreans and so on. So, yeah, that was a great pleasure to be there for the archery. also did boxing and at the XL Centre, where my main memory is actually the Irish boxer, Katie Taylor, I think her name is. Um, and it's, I think it was the first time we'd had women's boxing at the Olympics. And the, the the noise of the crowd, the Irish, mostly Irish, I guess, supporters of Katie, was absolutely, it was deafening, but somehow very moving. Mm. I read it was like the sound of a 747 taking off. But it was, it, was, it was emotionally moving. I remember, I think, tears came to my eyes as I'd never heard such emotion of people. So... I I, rem- mm. I vividly remember, I'll never, ever forget the night at the Olympics. Um, I'd just left one event and it was that, the, I think it was, um, it was the marathon. And mm. the noise, I was outside that came out of the stadium. It, and I, like you, I mean, I wasn't even watching. I saw it on the big screen, but I, I was crying. I was just completely bowled away by the beauty of the night and the excitement and the bonhomie. I mean, everywhere you went, people were smiling and laughing and celebrating. It was a wonderful summer, that. You must have loved yes, it, actually, yes. in your role. Yes, it was, it was, it was great to have, a, you know, to have a particular role. And, uh, and you know, it's, it's, uh, it's still a happy memory. Oh, yeah, I'm sure that, it will be forever. And, and, in fact, it, it triggered or perhaps it, it you know, encouraged a kind of interest in flags. I kind of, you know still look at flags and try and remember the names i think at one time i did have the names of the 200 countries of the, the flags memorized we had a flag manual to help us and for a moment, it, back yeah. in, i think i could have remembered them all but i think they've, they've begun to fade unfortunately but i still like to try and point out flags when i when i see them in different places so yeah that's remained an interest now we're up to alleluia by leonard cohen tell us why you hmm. chose this it's a, it's well a i chose great it piece. it's a very it's a popular song. It has sort of biblical resonance in the lyrics. Um, you know, David heard a secret chord and all that. Um, and I like this version. Everybody's done it, 300 cover versions and counting. But this is 
this is the Leonard Cohen himself singing it, and I think you get something of its meaning more from him. It goes like this, the fourth, the fifth, the minor fall, the major lift, the battle king composing, hallelujah. By Leonard Cohen. So, as if you've not got so much going in your life, um, now I want to ask you about all your involvement with theatre, music, and singing. Um, is, is is this something else that you've had time to squeeze in? Yes. Um, you know, I like to go to the theatre a lot, and also have sung in various, um, well, let's say, very informal choirs of one kind or another. Mostly for fun, um, you know, like singing songs from the West End and shows and so on. Um, I'm a big fan of the noble art of karaoke. Um, <laughs> so am I. <laughs> much, much maligned, much maligned by some, but uh, uh, I've enjoyed karaoke and indeed, what else? Um, Rockyoke with a live band and even gospeloke. Oh, that would be come good. Up with that that version. That's where you sing with a live backing gospel choir. Oh, that would be fantastic. I'd love that. That once in the in Brixton and sang Lovely Day by Bill Withers <laughs> with a marvellous choir behind me of, of, of men and women in black no in sort of red robes swaying and singing the backing, you know, 
uh, and I wore a kind of a, a white, like James Brown, with a white sort of pastor's cloak, or whatever you'd call it. Um, so yeah, I enjoy all that, uh, all that kind of thing. Um, and, and and you're uh, involved with different societies and associations as well. I don't know how you right. fit all this in, Nigel, but please tell us what what your roles are with these yeah, well, societies. Yeah, I mean, as well as working for the Catholic Union, I'm a I'm a trustee of the English Catholic History Association. Mm. So, as the name suggests, they organise visits or more these days talks. And you know, after COVID, we've moved a lot onto having online. We, like everybody else, discovered the um the, uh, the 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 pros and cons of Zoom. But the good thing about it is we can reach our members around the country. So we've had a a series of uh, online talks as well as some visits that we have one coming up. I think it's on the 23rd of February. Um, a talk by our chairman, Tim Guile, uh, about recusant women, Catholic women in the 16th and 17th century in this country, which has the marvellous title of Faith of Our Mothers. That's good. Um, <laughs> That's a good catchy title. <laughs> so, yes, yeah, so I, I help sometimes organise those talks and promote them. Does, um, can I ask a question? Does Mary Ward figure anywhere in that? Was she too early? Uh, well, no, I mean, oh, oh, that period. Yeah, I... I, hmm. I mean, um, she would... Uh, would be the right sort of... I'm not sure she was a recent woman, was she? I think that was... No, she wasn't. She was a bit... I think she was a bit early, from my knowledge of Mary Ward you're mm, speaking about. I think about. she was a bit earlier than that, yeah. But of course, she's part of English Catholic history, so you know it, it would cover that period as well. Um, but uh, yes, that's one thing I do. I'm also a trustee of a thing called the Thomas More Legal Centre, which aims to help uh, Catholics with you know problems of religious freedom that occur from time to time. And that, that uh, sounds very very demanding. I mean, do, it, uh, well, that's, that's all legal legal battle, battles, is it? Uh, yes, we. I mean, it's a it's a it's a voluntary thing, and we do get inquiries, and um, we deal with them as best we can. Sometimes, pass them on to other organisations which are equipped to, uh, you know, take forward legal challenges. But we may ourselves get involved in them from time to time. And I, I know that in pastors, it was set up by a, a man called Neil Addison, and he's been very helpful to a lot of pro-life groups and student groups and so on. Who have uh, legal difficulties from from time to time? Well, what a good and, organisation uh, to be involved with, actually. Yeah, yeah, and also I'm involved in lots of social things like the Friends of Westminster Cathedral and uh, uh, Catholic Voices. I was lucky enough to attend the wonderful conference held on Saturday with Bishop Robert Barron. Oh, were Is you there? I was there. Were you there? No, I, I've been reading about it. But Radio Maria was there. Radio Maria had a stall set oh, yes, up in, yes, the, uh, in the sort of mm. market area. And uh, Father Toby was there and uh, Elena and others. Um, so it was a wonderful day. Father Robert Brown, as you know, has a big following in this country. Um, I had the pleasure of hearing him speak three times in the past week because we in the Catholic Union helped, helped Catholic Voices organise his visit to Parliament last Monday, where he addressed a group of parliamentarians and other civic leaders. Um, and uh, again on Tuesday at a, a networking event for Catholic organisations. And my colleague was able to take him into number 10 Downing Street on Wednesday last week by a special arrangement and to meet the Prime Minister's special advisor on 
uh, on faith and civil society. Sounds, and, sounds uh, like a very busy week, a really, really exciting was. week, actually. And at the end of it, we presented him with a book called God in Number 10, oh, written by good. Father Mark Vickers, parish priest in Shepherd's Bush, where the Catholic Union office is situated. Um, it's a book about the personal faith of the 20th century prime ministers from Balfour to Blair, one chapter on each. Interesting. So mm. we were delighted. Bishop Barrett, having been very generous in passing out books from his organisation to people, we were pleased to be able to give him a book. And he said he'd read it on the plane on the way home. So I hope he, I hope he has had the chance to do that. I hope so. We're up to your final piece of music, People Get Ready by Jeff Beck. Yes. Um, again, you know, this has a gospel flavour to it, this piece of music. And, and Jeff Beck died recently. So it's partly for that reason as a tribute to him, and it's a beautiful version of this uh, of this gospel song. Get Ready, composed by Curtis Mayfield and performed by Jeff Beck with Rod Stewart. Nigel Parker, thank you for your time today. It's been absolutely fascinating talking to you and hearing about your life story and your faith, um, your journey in faith too. Thank you for joining us. Thank you, it's been a great pleasure. And thank you to our listeners for joining us today for Songs in the Wilderness. Until next time, 